Uh, What a pleasure and a joy it is to bring to us the Word of God this morning as we continue our sermon series in the parables of Jesus. With the gift of brevity being a challenge for for me normally, we're going to go ahead and just jump right in, if you guys don't mind, and we'll turn to Matthew chapter 13, looking at verses 44 through 52. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. As we look at this set of parables this morning, it's actually quite interesting to see how they are ordered and relate to the first set of kingdom parables that we reviewed last week. As Caleb unpacked last week, the parable of the weeds provides a final judgment explanation, followed by the parable of the mustard seed and leaven, providing a current kingdom explanation being different than we would imagine, underscoring the point that the Lord in our current kingdom, in fact, uses small and meaningless things to do large and great things. As we look at the parable of hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value, which we'll combine this morning and call the gem parables, the parable of the net and the parable of the homeowner, we see these same ideas but in an opposite order. The kingdom is different than imagine being first in the gem parables, this time looking at the idea that those that give everything will receive everything in Christ Jesus, followed by another reference to final judgment of the parable of the, in the parable of the net, and then a conclusion and summary of all of the parables in this section of Scripture with the parable of the homeowner. Or, as you might see in your Bible, called New and Old Treasures. You see, we end up in this set of kingdom parables with a final judgment, upside-down current kingdom, upside-down current kingdom, final judgment type of construction. This approach from Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, provides repetition for clarity and emphasizes the importance and need 
and our need to understand and take hold of these two key concepts. For us to fully understand the reality of final judgment and to understand the reality that the here and now kingdom made up of followers of Jesus looks different than we would imagine. These parables, all of them together, are flipping all worldviews except a Christian one on their head. So as we dig into these a little more this morning, we're actually going to take these in order and break it up into three sections. First, looking at the gem parables, the parable of hidden treasure and pearl of great value in verses 44 through 46. We'll then take a look at the parable of the net in verses 47 through 50, and finally the parable of the homeowner in verses 51 and 52. The kingdom of God is not what we think it is, and the parable of the hidden treasure and pearl of great value show us that the kingdom citizens, those who believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ, will humbly surrender all things for the surpassing worth of the kingdom. The willingness and ability to humbly give up all things for the glory of the Lord in this case, will be a fruit, a result, an outpouring of our belief in that treasure that Jesus Christ paid it all on our behalf on the cross. As we look at these two short parables, both show an understanding in action the worth of the treasure that was discovered. In contrasting these two parables, in the parable of hidden treasure, the man almost stumbles upon the treasure. Whereas in the parable of the pearl of great value, the merchant is longing to find, obediently seeking and searching to find the treasure of unsurpassed worth. The main actor, however, the main subject of these parables is not these separate men finding the treasure, but is in fact the treasure itself. These parables are intending for us to focus on the treasure, the worth and value, and the understanding and commitment to the worth and value of this treasure. And only secondarily, then, are we to see the action and response of these men, the fruit and outpouring of this belief in the unsurpassed worth of the treasure. These parables show that the actions reveal the heart. From James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
You see, we are called then to not just look at the word at face value and, and go away, to see the treasure and quickly depart. No, we are called then to allow the, the value of the treasure to sink deep in who we are and to affect the actions in which we take part in. We see these men in these parables as a response, as showing their understanding of this, give up everything for the treasure. As we look further, the outward motivations for each individual in these parables are different. Joy for the man and obedience for the pearl merchant. But again, their response and therefore our understanding of their inward heart position is the same. But what about these outward motivations? What is the significance of joy for the man and obedience for the pearl merchant? From current biblical scholar Frederick Dale Bruner in his published commentary on Matthew, he sums this up well when he says, the main question in the interpretation of these two parables is this, what is stressed in them? Is it the joy of the discovery which causes the selling? Or is it the selling of all in order to obtain the delightful object? The best answer is it is both in the proper order. The joy of the valuable discovery causes the zeal of selling all. Grace causes good works. We see this understanding underscored in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As Bruner explains later in his commentary, selling is a consequence of, not a condition for, finding. But once found, selling becomes indeed condition for having. When you find the treasure, you desire to give up all things for the glory of the Lord. But once you have found the treasure, giving up all things for the glory of God as a condition is evidence that you have in fact found the treasure. It begs us to ask then, Buffalo City Church, where are our hearts? If the fruit of sacrifice isn't evidenced in our lives, where is our treasure? Individually and in discipleship relationships and in community groups, we must wrestle with this idea regularly. We must search and seek and pray and meditate on God's word. We must ask ourselves and ask each other the difficult questions about our heart position. 
about the fruit in each other's lives which provides a window to our hearts. It's a difficult thing. It's a difficult conversation to question someone's heart, to ask and judge the fruit of their lives. But as disciples who make disciples, we've been called to go there. We've been called to ruminate in the difficulty of asking challenging questions and the discomfort of seeking and and striving to see someone know the Lord more. I pray, Buffalo City Church, as we press in, as we display our kingdom citizenship with these difficult questions, that we would obediently give it all to the Lord. Our time, our efforts, our energy, our space, our intellect, our money, and our finances, all of it, out of joy for the treasure, should be given freely for the glory of the Lord. And so now we look at the next parable, the parable of the net. As I mentioned at the outset, this parable parable correlates to the parable of the weeds with the reminder that in final judgment in Christ's second coming, there will be two camps and only two camps. Those that are with God and those that are against God. The idea of final judgment as followers of Jesus Christ should put a healthy dose of fear of the Lord in our hearts and in our minds. While throughout Scripture, the Lord reminds us to fear not, the only exclusion of that fear should be of the Lord. Psalm 112.1 Praise the Lord, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Proverbs 22.4 The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Psalm 145.19 He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. To understand the emphasis and focus of this final judgment and the fear of the Lord, we ask, how is this parable of the net different than the parable of the weeds that we saw previously? Beyond emphasizing through repetition this idea of only two outcomes, either with God or against God, The parable of the net does not include the outcome of the righteous. This parable, in fact, provides focus, an extra reiterated warning, an ominous reminder of the fate of those who are separated from God. Folks, the fate of the ungodly 
will be a terrible, terrible fate. Thrown into the fiery furnace, into the place where there is the weeping and gnashing of teeth. This impending judgment with two outcomes, in fact, folks, will be judged on the fruit of our life and how it showed our belief in Jesus Christ. Don't confuse this with works-based righteousness as we are bearing fruit in all that we say or do, but the idea holds true, no good fruit means no belief. And no belief leads to the righteous judgment of the fiery furnace. From Matthew chapter 7, verses 19 through 23. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I'll admit, while I completely ascribe to the blessed assurance I have in the person and work of Jesus Christ for my salvation, this set of verses is one of the scariest, most humbling set of verses in Scripture. The righteous judgment of the Lord will come upon everyone. And I can't help but think and question What if when all this is said and done, the Lord says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Much scarier than losing my job. Scarier than an accident or old age leaving me unable to walk or talk. Scarier even than losing my wife and kids. What if when my days on earth are done, I didn't seek to know him and make him known. What if I had convinced myself I had believed when I really didn't? What if I didn't truly trust that the work had been finished on my behalf on the cross of Christ? What if the fruit in my life was not born because of unbelief? Those are very real questions, folks, that we have a need to grapple with. We shouldn't be motivated by fear in anything that exists in the world, but the wise man fears the Lord. He is holy and righteous and just. We have to acknowledge our sin and repent. We must humble ourselves and acknowledge 
that we need nothing, desire nothing, are nothing, and preach nothing except Christ crucified. We are motivated by the truth that he is our treasure. We rest in the firm foundation of 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Because of the blessed assurance of Jesus Christ, the love that he poured out for us, we are known by the Father. We are made righteous and holy because of the blood spilled on our behalf on the cross. Out of love for Jesus then, out of an overflow in joy as we see in the parable of the hidden treasure, not out of an overflow of guilt or obligation or fear, we desire to then lay down all things to lay down our strivings, our pride, our misguided self-righteousness, our comfort, our livelihoods, to know him and make him known. Now, I know most of us in the room at some level, and I truly pray that we have wrestled with this reality of judgment that we've wrestled and continue to wrestle with the grievousness of our sin and the treasure that we have in Christ Jesus. Members of Buffalo City Church, are we in or are we out? Is the joy of the gospel and what Christ has done on our behalf shaping all that we do for the glory of the Lord? Will we be recognized by the fruit in our lives? As we wrestle with those questions, I also pray that we wouldn't run to ourselves to try harder, to make our fruit more noticeable or look better to those around us, to strive harder, but know instead that we would spend more time and energy and effort focused on the one who has overcome all of our strivings. That we would focus our energy and effort in knowing the surpassing worth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how do we rest in this blessed assurance? What is our focus? How do we further fall in love with our Savior and cherish the treasure? Frederick Dale Bruner says this, what we need is a season of stories of Jesus where we hear facts before orders, joy before sacrifice, 
discovery before decisions, gospel before law, beatitudes before commands. And when Jesus is found, then believers, carried away by joy, almost without being told to do so, will sell. I say almost being told because as a matter of fact, we always need to be told and retold. But here in our parables, no one tells the farmer or merchant to do anything. The treasure tells all. Finally, we then look at our third and final parable, the parable of the homeowner. And Jesus said to his disciples, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. Now, in this set of kingdom parables, this is the first time that we see a request of response from Jesus. And we know, based on what we see throughout the final days of Jesus' life, that although the disciples responded with yes, these things that were laid out in the parables were in fact not understood. When Jesus told that the least will be made large in the kingdom, in the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven, the disciples later argue over which will be the greatest, which one will be at Jesus' right hand. While Jesus explains that knowing the treasure of the gospel makes giving it all worth it for the glory of the Lord in the gem parables, we see out of fear Peter denying the Lord three times before the rooster crows at dawn in the hours before Jesus' crucifixion. Yet, we see here a mercy and grace from Jesus. He didn't call out the disciples' unbelief or lack of understanding in the moment. No, he knew, and we know, that our hearts are of stone, that our sin nature plagues us to be those of unbelief. That we say yes when, in fact, we cannot believe or understand. Which is why, like his disciples' response, ours must be a yes of promise rather than a yes of result. It must be a yes of striving to seek and know the kingdom and not of accomplishment and knowing enough. We are committing with our yes that we know these things to be disciples. We are committing with our yes to be followers and learners of who God is and what he's done. Yes, Lord, I seek understanding in these things all the days of my life. Yes, Lord, heal my heart of unbelief. Yes, Lord, call me to repentance and sacrifice 
to value the small and inefficient ways for which your kingdom is brought to glory in the here and now. Yes, Lord, call me to be bold in giving up all things to know you and make you known. And the parable ends that every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Calling on where God has brought us from the old, we seek what is new in the truth of the gospel and a reconstructed understanding of the kingdom that we found in these parables. The Lord has used and is using the old. Every situation, every circumstance, every joy, every hardship, every encounter, every mistake in our lives brings us to where we are now. Our lives before we found and knew the treasure of the truth of the gospel was not for waste, was not for nothing. Those things we cherish as they allowed us to see and know and seek the treasure in our present moment. The old could also be the old teaching of the covenants and the law, which are also not meaningless and in vain. The covenants remain, although understood differently with the coming of Christ Jesus, and the law then allows us to clearly and consistently see that we are not worthy, that we cannot uphold the law. And both of these old things that we gird up with us point toward the new. Our adoption into the kingdom of God has made us new creations, seeking not the things before but desiring to be obedient to the commands of the Lord. As we saw in the parable of the hidden treasure, with joy we give up all things for the treasure we have in Jesus. We also look towards the new covenant and what Christ Jesus has done on our behalf, perfectly fulfilling the law, covering the sin of the world, making us righteous and holy, in the eyes of the Lord. With the new, we have been provided a new understanding. We've seen in these parables of what the kingdom of God is truly like in our current situation and circumstance, and also a reminder of the kingdom and its full realization after our final judgment, what it will the old are sinful selves, Old Testament covenants and the law, and the new are selves as new creation, the new covenant in Christ Jesus, propel us forward in cherishing the treasure that is Jesus Christ. So in conclusion, let's consider again each of these kingdom parables, recognizing that what they are revealing to us about the kingdom brings a different significance and weight depending on our lives and our situation. 
It's amazing to see how much is contained within these parables and what it reveals to us about the kingdom of God and who we are as kingdom citizens. As we leave this place, may we be challenged and encouraged by the truth of his kingdom and the kingdom that is yet to come that he reveals to us through his word. We saw in the parable of weeds that his kingdom is here and now with the good and the evil sown together. But not only is the kingdom in the here and now, but it also resides in the final judgment when the good and evil will be separated for eternity. We are reminded to not be discouraged by the ever-increasing evil and challenging circumstances of the world, but instead to rest confidently in what is to come. The Lord is reminding us in the parables of the mustard seed and leaven that when we feel small or insignificant, when we feel that we're not doing anything worthy from the standard of the world, we've talked about before that we're not doing any big things fast. We can rest and know that he is using and continues to use small and weak insignificant vessels through inefficient means, disciples making disciples to bring about his kingdom. In the parable of hidden treasure and the pearl of great value, the Lord reveals to us the treasure of the gospel is worth giving up all things. And that to pursue the kingdom, we must take up our cross daily and follow him allowing our joyful sacrifice to be the mark of our belief. In the parable of the net, we are reminded again of this final judgment of fearing the Lord and acknowledging that we are either all in or all out when it comes to following Jesus. Finally, in the parable of the homeowner, we've seen that our yes to to understanding the truth of the kingdom is not a yes of accomplishment, but a yes of promise to seek his truth in all that we are and do. The assurance that the Lord has brought us through as new creations is to trust in the new covenant and the truth of the gospel. With that, let a renewed understanding of the kingdom propel us to further treasure being a disciple of Jesus Christ who makes disciples of Jesus Christ. Let us, Buffalo City Church, be the kingdom here, looking forward to the joyous conclusion of the kingdom yet to come. Let us pray.